Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day, another Battery Power podcast presentation recapping the 2023 MLB Amateur Draft. The draft is finally in the books. 20 rounds, 21 selections for the Braves, and and a lot of exciting new talent coming to the team. And once again, there's no better duo to give us all the breakdown of day three, but also the draft as a whole, than Garrett Spain or Matt Powers, who who have given great analysis over the past two days. Garrett, how are you? Good talking with you again, sir. I am doing all right. I'm kind of glad to get this wrapped up so we can really dig into these guys and kind of go forward with with the system as it is now. Absolutely. And and Matt, I will tell you this, my afternoon, I enjoyed reading much of your insight on the pick-by-pick selections. Won't necessarily get into each pick today, but uh, just a lot of good insight from you. I'm sure you had fun covering another draft, especially as we got deeper into the selections. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun part of the draft. It's always one of my favorite days of the draft, along with the first day. I think a lot of these guys are a little under the radar to some people that follow the draft just a little bit, maybe the top 100, 200 guys. But there's a lot of these players in there that you don't really think as much about or look at as much, especially the smaller school guys, and they could end up making some impact on the big league team, even if it's not one of the key roles, if it's just a reliever or a bench player or even a AAA depth piece. Absolutely. And so let's dive right into day three. And so let's check off a few of the boxes that we saw, you know, on day three, you know, there was a a bit of an even keel when it came to, you know, or even disposition distribution, I guess you could say, actually it was six to four, six hitters versus four pitchers. So the Braves did, you know, on day three, invest a little bit more in the position players than they did the pitchers, but still pretty even. And, And Matt, you know, some of the things that you and Garrett mentioned yesterday, Garrett, mentioned they'd probably take a catcher they did with their last pick of the draft we talked about potential middle infielders they did that on day three as well and they also really focused on the infield in general and they went with more of the college junior college route than making you know a couple of splashes Matt what stood out to you as far as a few names but overall just an approach that you thought the Braves were trying to put together on day three so I think what they really tried to do is uh, the thing that I mentioned yesterday night that I thought they were going to focus on, that they wanted to grab some bats. And with those bats, they definitely wanted to grab some high on base OBP guys that could just put the ball into play and make good contact. And I think they definitely did that. Uh, Jace Grady really stands out for that at the 11th round pick, first pick of the day. Uh, Brady Day is another one who stands out for those exact reasons. Uh, but there are 
that's not the only thing that they did. They took a couple guys in the next couple rounds as well. Uh, Mitch Ferris, Wilverdung, and obviously different types of players, but they bring interesting skill sets. Uh, I also like Cam McGee a little bit later. And then the final pick, the catcher, Will King, is another interesting guy. I mean, all of these guys most likely will end up signing I would think, uh, but I think every single one of them at least has something interesting about them that makes them a guy why the Braves would target them. Absolutely. And, you know, going into day three, um, uh, Garrett, only three of the first 11 picks were of the um, uh, position player variety. Overall, though, it was 12 to 9. You know, the Braves selected 12 pitchers, 9 hitters, 18 college players, I believe I've got that right. Some variation of, you know, uh, major college versus junior college, and only three high school players. But of the arms, you know, Matt talked about, you know, the focus on the position players, the focus on high, on base talents. About the four arms that the Braves took, what stands out to you? Maybe a name or two that really stands out to you as a potential steal on day three on the mound. Well, I know uh, our guy who used to work with this, uh, Wayne Cavati, he covers D2, and a guy he really told talked to us about was Mitch Ferris out of Wingate in the 14th. Uh, a guy with good stuff and crazy numbers at a smaller school. So that's kind of a guy to watch, I think. I, I think of the late round draft picks that's a guy to watch they also got three lefties late in the draft which they didn't really they didn't get i don't think they got in oh any oh no they got two lefties in the draft ferris and riley fray in the 19th round and they didn't get any lefties in the first round in the first couple of days of the draft so they definitely went and got a couple of left-hander there left-hander reliever types that'll fill out the system there and Matt, that's something that you noted on Twitter when it came to talking about day three. The Braves were targeting guys who, you know, at the college level, either showed significant improvement getting on base or were maintaining good on-base skills. Two of the more notable position player guys that the Braves have got over the past few drafts are Nacho Alvarez as well as Drake Baldwin. Those guys stand out for their on-base skills. Obviously, the Braves are going to continue to go with high upside guys like an Isaiah Drake like they did on day two. But when it comes to filling out the depth of the position player aspect of their minor league system, is it fair to say that high on base skills will continue to be a focus that will continue to be a foundational skill set of the position player group as a whole? Is that what the Braves are trying to establish as they rebuild their minor league depth? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think especially, and these guys are more extreme examples, but Luis Arise and Jeff McNeil are the types of players where they can really hit and get on base, but the rest of their skill sets aren't particularly impressive. And obviously that's a best case scenario and you can't ever predict that for any of these guys. But I mean, if you can just hit and get on base, there's going to be a role for you. So taking chances on guys like that, they're just going to hit and get on base and just keep the lineup moving and get the runs in. I mean, that's always going to help both them in their lineups, but and the other guys on the team that are on that team with them. I mean, if you put a prospect on a team that's awful, it's going to be much harder for that pro higher prospect to really get the most out of what he's able to do. 
But if you have guys in front of him and behind him that are going to be getting on base, it's going to put him in much more easier and manageable situations to just be pitched to normally. So it doesn't just help with this player that they draft that's a high on base guy. It helps the whole rest of the lineup too. And as we know, though the Braves hit home runs as, as good as anyone right now in baseball, when they're not hitting home runs, success is a little bit harder to find. So as years go on, being able to fill some needed uh, lineup spots with guys who can get on base in front of the big thumpers that are already at the major league level, that's definitely a great approach. Garrett, talking about approaches, when it comes from um, uh, the pitching side of things, at the major league level, we obviously have a lot of certainty in our lineup, lineup, a lot of good certainty. In the major league rotation, we've got a lot of good young talent. But I think it would be fair to say that the major league rotation probably is not as certain. Even the bullpen is not as certain as the lineup long term. In this draft, again, what stands out, you know, the Braves took 12 arms. 10 of them were at the college level, or excuse me, 11 of them, I believe, were at the college level. Was it a focus of the Braves, you think, to get older arms that may be able to establish themselves as depth quickly so that they can have different talents to choose from when they need to fill out a rotation spot or a bullpen spot like they did a lot, have to do a lot at the first of this year? I think part of it this year is that they really did not have the money left over to go after high school guys. Because these high school guys, especially in these late rounds, you do have to pay them a certain amount to get them to convince them not to go to school. And, and I don't think that this year they had the money to, to do that. Uh, you know, they got Bowman in the fourth round, but that was the only high school arm they picked. I think, but I think you see that they weigh pitchers fairly heavily. And I think the reason for that is that they believe, one, it's expensive to get pitchers and pitchers burn out very quickly. So is it worth them investing in long-term deals or heavy trades to go get pitchers? It's really not. So they want to develop pitchers from within. So it, with pitchers, they're so hard to predict that you just got to get a bunch of guys with talent and throw them at the wall and see what happens. And they have a lot of confidence in their ability to develop those pitchers and then go out. And we've seen a lot of the trades. And now the two big trades that they've made recently for Olsen and Murphy were headlined by hitters. But generally, the Braves, for most of their trades, especially their smaller trades, they're trading away pitchers to get those guys because they believe that they can develop these pitchers enough to make them either valuable enough to trade or valuable enough to keep in the rotation. And you look at guys, I mean, back, you could go back to the um, World Series run for Hazel Lair. That was a trade they made for a pitcher there. Um, and you look at it, they traded for, which it didn't end up working out, but they traded for Richard Rodriguez that year. So, that's kind of their approach is to get a ton of pitching talent, knowing that they can develop it and either apply it at the major league level or move it in trades to go out and get better, you know, offensive players. I love this point from Garrett because it is spot on. Obviously, developing and maintaining elite major league talent for at, on your own team is the secret to success, secret to sustaining success in the major leagues. 
But those move on the margins that Alex Anthopoulos has become a master of, that was a big reason why we won the 2021 World Series, that only happens when you still have attractive trade assets that even though they may not be highly ranked in terms of national rankings, they may be well thought of among those are who are in baseball. So that is a great, great point, Garrett. It's not just about supporting and supplementing what you have at the major league level on your own team. It's building attractive trade chips that could potentially allow for you to go get pieces that you need as time goes on. So, so absolutely outstanding point. Matt, you did a great job, I think, breaking down the general themes of days one, two, and three as we focus, as we get more focused on the draft as a whole. Day one, you talked about raw stuff, overall just natural talent when it came to the pitchers. Day two, it was data metrics, and day three, it was it was good producers at the college level. What really stood out to you about this draft class as a whole? You know, I know that you mentioned data metrics, but just a couple of things that, you know, really stood out to you is what the Braves were trying to hit home with this draft class. So I think they were just trying to restock the system and not just restock it with top prospects, but to restock it top to bottom. I mean, you're adding in a Waldrip, who's one of the most impactful arms in the system whether he ends up as a starter or as a reliever in the future. I mean, that stuff just plays at a high level. Uh, then you have another guy like Kohler who also has a similar type level of stuff. Then you find uh, some guys in the early day two range in Bauman and Drake, and both of those guys have a very high upside. So you've added to the front, You've added a couple young guys with high upside to the low levels, and then you supplement that by adding some pitchers and some hitters who may not be high-end guys in terms of rankings or have the highest overall upside, but they're guys with a high floor and guys that they believe that they can get more out of than what we've seen in college or have skill sets that really or what they think is needed in the system. So they've restocked the system in a couple different ways with this draft overall. And then Garrett, you know, again, you know, focused on, you know, some of the trends that we're seeing with this. Again, um, 18 college level talents versus only three high school level talents, 12 pitchers to nine hitters. Of those pitchers, 10 at the college level, one um, at the high school level. And for the pitchers, eight right-handers versus three left-handers. Now, if you looked on ESPN on day one, it said the strength of the system was right-handed pitching. And I think that that goes as much to what's in the Brave system as it is the calling card for their system, which, as we just mentioned, was the development of that right-handed pitching. But from those trends, what stands out to you? One or two things that you really think the Braves were successful successful at in putting together this draft class? Well, I think ultimately a lot of how this draft class went was Waldrop. Uh, it's, a, it's a very top-heavy class in that Waldrop, Keeler, Hackenberg, those are guys are, that are going to get a lot of money, and there wasn't much to spend later on. And so it's a fairly similar draft to 2017 when the Braves took Kyle Wright early. And, you know, for a while there, it was kind of a question of if they would really get anything from that draft. And it's going to be similar with this draft where it's going to pretty much depend on what they get out of Walter. And that, that's going to make or break this draft. Um, there's def definitely depth there in terms of guys that are 
capable of getting getting to the upper levels but there's only really a couple guys like Sabios and drake that i really feel kind of have that starting level potential whereas a lot of those guys are more relief type bench type players and that's what they got in the system but the braves tend to like to have a lot of those guys and one you have to fill out minor league rosters. You just have to have those guys that can play a lot of positions, hit well. The Braves really like to have infielders that can play a lot of positions. And they've had some success at getting those kind of mid-tier guys and turning them into decent prospects. A recent, um, a recent example is Cody Milligan. He is at A right now and ha- has had a really fantastic season for them. And, you know, they've developed, you know, that was a high OBP guy in college that they've managed to um, – develop into a legitimate kind more again more of a bench prospect but they've managed to develop that and they feel confident in developing that um you know luke waddell now waddell with a little bit more money but again that's another guy that was a high obp guy you know a contact first guy they've gotten him up to triple a very fairly quickly and another guy recently that was a later pick was caleb durbin didn't get a ton of money he was in, he was the return to the yankees for lucas lukey and so that's i mean they're utilizing a lot of these on-base guys and not and really being able to turn those guys into valuable assets in some way. And a lot of guys that I, I think what you'll notice as a trend and what we've noticed as a trend for a while is every single one of these guys, the things you're going to start hearing about them are high makeup guys, hard workers, great in the clubhouse. And that's really what the Braves tend to target is just guys that they know are going to fit the chemistry of the organization and that are going to really fit the Braves profile and that they're going to work hard and maximize their talents and hope that these guys that can hit continue to hit and these guys that can throw hard can develop. And that's what they really, it seems like that kind of stands out because every one of these guys that were drafted, you look and you look at what the comments on them and it's people saying how much they love the guys and how great they are as teammates and as workers. And that's really where the Braves kind of excel is, focusing on the makeup of guys. So Matt, for those who, um, you know, follow the Braves prospects editions all year round, you know, you've really got two main, you know, avenues to be able to add talent to, well, three, uh, but for the Braves, it's two, you know, typically you've got the international signing period. You've got trades. If you're trading, you know, your major league talent for prospects, and then you've got the draft for the Braves, it's the international signing period as well as the um, draft. This draft class as a whole, you know, in many national rankings, the Braves are near the bottom or at the bottom when it comes to the overall talent in their um, minor league system. We know that the Braves typically don't really care about that. They can develop talent even if it's not highly ranked. But is this the type of draft class that will make an impact to where we can start seeing the Braves once again kind of climb up those prospect lists? Or do you think that it's going to kind of remain the same where it's going to take a while for the Braves to start getting out of the bottom of those lists and we're going to continue to see a trend where even if we're not ranked high on national rankings, we're still going to hopefully get to see some diamonds in the rough become something, even if it's unexpected? So I think we're going to start to rise in the rankings, but I don't necessarily think it's all because of this draft. I think this draft is really going to be dependent on a couple of guys that we saw taken at the top. But I think that what we've seen out of Guanipa and what we're going to be getting in the uh, international market next year in Perdomo, that alone is going to help the system because you're adding two high-end guys, including one of them who's already started to produce in 
the Dominican Summer League. But uh, this year, I think it's really going to depend on how much it rises because of this draft. Um, what you see out of guys like Waldrip and Kohler, uh, Sabalos, and the two big prep guys from yesterday. And then, Garrett, when it comes to specific, you know, locations of, of players on the prospect list, looking at the Battery Power top 25 list, you know, when you, if you look at a lot of Braves lists coming into this season, you know, at the top were typically older prospects who have been in the system for years. They just naturally were more talented because they'd had more development. A lot of the bottom, though, was the international signing position players that were there. From Matt's analysis just now, it seems as if that outside of maybe Waldrop, Keeler, you know, maybe Isaiah Drake as time goes on, you may not necessarily see so many of the names in this draft hit that list, but you'll start to see that there's more possibly notable names that you'll hear of in years to come when it comes to the minor league depth. So it doesn't seem as if, just in general, we may see that big of an initial impact when it comes to individual names on Braves prospect lists. Right. I think for us specifically, we want to see the guy get you know, a year or so in the system, actually playing professional ball, see what they do before we really put them high. Because with a lot of these guys, you know, they're not facing great talent. Waldrop faced good talent. We know what he has. But really outside of that, these guys, a lot of them aren't playing major programs. And so you're really, you're looking at a skill set, but in a lot of ways you're guessing. Um, I don't think, one of the problems the Braves have had, and the reason they're ranked so low, isn't necessarily that they're not producing talent. It's that they're producing their talent so quickly that, you know, guys like Spencer Strider, Michael Harris, AJ smith Shopper, before they can even get on top 100 lists, they're already in the major leagues and contributing. And so that's where the Braves have done a good job at getting that talent there quickly, but it's it's made the system not necessarily look as good as it is because they're all average. I don't think, again, I, I think Matt's right. I don't think that this is going to make a huge impact on the system. And it's just going to take time. I, it's hard to build a system with late first round picks. And it's especially hard to do it when those late first round picks, again, go to the major leagues in two years. It's just not easy when most of your depth is at the major level. But it's important to know that the Braves, if you look at their talent pool at age 26 or under, it's at worst top two in the league it's just such a deep talented pool of guys that they don't necessarily need to have a top level system and they're focused on competing now so these guys you were talking about they're pushing them through the system because they don't necessarily care what they do seven years from now they care what they do while this team is in their in their competitive window so farm system rankings aren't that important but i do think overall the Braves are going to start going up because teams I, – I think a lot of people are realizing that the Braves are really have a lot more depth that's really underrated than they're really giving them credit for. And you're seeing them, you know, in trades. Teams aren't saying the Braves don't have guys to trade for. I think the general industry as a whole – and other organizations recognize that there's talent in the break system and a lot of it. It's just a lot of these guys are the Braves are getting these guys that maybe didn't perform well in college or were underrated in college. And they're finding these little market inefficiencies that your the industry, the prospect ranking industry isn't necessarily 
as quick to adjust to it, but organizations and the Braves themselves know, look, we have talent here. We're producing players and we're going to continue to produce players. And that's really what's most important. I do think this is on its way up. It's just going to take time. It's always going to take time with that sort of stuff. And perspective certainly matters. I mean, the Braves have what, you know, had two um, uh, rookie of the year winners over the past five years. They had, you know, arguably the best uh, pitcher hitter rookie duo in at least recent major league history. I don't have the numbers in front of me to, you know, see, see if it's, you know, of all time, but that's important to remember with just, you know, how much talent has graduated from the system. You know, they were the best farm system, you know, a decade or, or a decade or so ago, and we're benefiting, we're reaping the benefits of that. So, so a great, great point. Matt, one other question I wanted to ask you was that, you know, Garrett had touched on it and, you know, both of y'all had touched on it in various conversations over the past two days. But I think one of the things that kind of has stood out is that, you know, the Braves do a good job of going out and getting relievers. But besides Dylan Lee and and A.J. Minter, we haven't necessarily produced a lot of consistent relievers, especially of the right-handed variety, you know, in recent years. One thing that could potentially be there in this draft, it seems, is that maybe we bolstered the reliever depth if some of these starters don't work out. Do you think that that could be a takeaway from this draft as well with the pitching talent we've added yeah i do and i think part of why we haven't really gotten as many relievers homegrown in the recent years is one of the biggest strengths of alex anthopolis dating back to his time in toronto is he is better than almost anyone in baseball at finding bargain bin relievers and making them into real contributors and he's just continued to do it. So it's helped to eliminate potential spots for guys on the farm to come into. So I think the fact that we haven't produced too many homegrown relievers, that's a partial factor in it. Uh, Matt hit the nail on the head. If you want any better example of that, look at 2019. Went out and got Martin Lanson, uh, Shane Green, as well as Chris Martin. And I don't really think anybody had heard much of uh, Chris Martin before he became a Brave. And overnight, we went from being the worst to the best bullpen in baseball. And we've kind of continued that since. So, excellent point. Garrett, as we're wrapping up here with a few more things when it comes to the overall review of the 2023 draft, could you take us through what happens next? You know, obviously it feels as if that there's going to be, you know, with the fact that the Braves didn't really go with the big upside or home run swing on, you know, day two or day three, maybe outside of Isaiah Drake. What are your thoughts about the signability of these players? What's the turnaround time in which we might be able to see the entire draft class signed? Just what are you looking at over the next several days when it comes to seeing these draft pick added to the minor league system for the Braves? I definitely think they're going to sign all 21 guys. I don't really see a world in which one of these guys stays in school. Um, I mean, you're, they're going to have to throw money at four and five to keep them out of college. But at the same time, they're going to have the money to do that. Uh, last year, they were quick. And I think it was a week. And they already had the sign. All of They announced, you know, we signed everybody. We're done. And I think they're going to do that again this year. I, I, these guys that they took because they're older guys they know what they're giving these guys they have the money to do it and so i don't think that there's really a whole lot here that's up in the air it should be a pretty straightforward process and all 20 of the one of these guys should be joining the system now who is going to actually play this year that's a question these guys like waldrop these guys like keeler these guys that pitch deep into these college seasons they're not going to get a lot of time this year especially waldrop uh, they'll probably you know, last three, four weeks of the season, they'll start joining 
the minor league teams and they'll probably start at either Augusta or Rome, but overall you're probably the pitchers, especially you're not going to see a ton of this year just because they've pitched a lot and you've got to get them into a, you know, throwing program at the professional level. And it, it's just a long process. So I don't think that you're going to immediately see these guys come in and start throwing all over the place, but they should be in the system and, you know, down in Florida working out fairly soon. So Matt, want to tap into your knowledge when it comes to the draft. We, we obviously discussed the Braves quite a bit, but there also were, you know, did us, you know, being, you know, obviously plenty of Braves fans, I'm sure, had their particular college teams they cheer for. There were many top selections that came from the South and around the country. Just a couple of two or three perspectives you view of this draft, a couple of really good names to follow, just you know, in 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 brief context, just overall a couple of takeaways that you had from the draft as a whole. Cause we know while Braves country loves their Braves, they're a fan of baseball in general as well a lot of the times just some things you got from this draft to to watch out for in, in the coming years so i think it was just a very interesting draft overall i think the fact that this year had as many high-end top guys in one single draft that could have gone number one in almost any other draft as we've seen in recent memory so i think that alone is something that's going to make that worth watching uh and then the fact that there was so little separation among everybody else especially in those early rounds that it just made a weird type of draft where the rankings that you'd see from pretty much everybody were pretty much out the window just because all it took is one team that preferred one guy. Uh, there were some strong drafts overall, uh, some very interesting players taken today that I'm curious to see if they end up signing, particularly the Orioles pick of Tanner Witt, who is most likely going to return to Texas. But when you take a closer look at their bonus pool and notice they haven't really spent big on any of those players, it doesn't seem. It's not a 0% chance that Witt ends up signing with the Orioles. And uh, obviously, we take a look at some of the drafts of guys that used to work in this system, Houston and Dana Brown, and you see some interesting picks in that one. Uh, Bryce Matthews and Alonzo Treadwell being their top two picks, guys that I liked for the Braves, but it's a draft that kind of mirrors what the Braves did back under Dana Brown. Uh, the Giants, who have Brian Bridges working with them, and they had one of the better drafts overall, I think. And obviously, as you know, as you were mentioning, the uh, Braves fans from the South are very big on their college teams. The SEC, ACC teams in particular, just really loaded up, were teams loaded up on players from those schools in this draft. And then, Garrett, something that you mentioned and that I have seen, you know, kind of in our, you know, um, battery power group chats that we have, something that's been mentioned over the past few years is that, hey, the rest of the NLE certainly is doing well as well. And I think that that um, is something that continued in this draft. Dylan Cruz, you know, who many consider to be the best overall talent in this draft, he's now with the Washington Nationals. You have to, you know, if you look over from the national, you know, um, sources, you know, the initial reaction to the drafts, it seems many think the Marlins had 
had one of the better drafts out there. One of the things that will be worth watching is that as the rest of these NL East teams pick well ahead of the Braves in these drafts, they're going to continue to buff up their minor league systems to eventually catch the Braves. I think this was another strong year for the rest of the NL East teams that will make their pools of young talent continue to improve. Yeah, I mean, I, I like what a lot of these guys did. Um, like you say, I mean, the Braves being better than them is the reason they're not picking that high. But I do think that in general, the Braves do a better job of maximizing the value that they get out of these picks in terms of developing. I do think that they have a better development system than these other, these other organizations do, and that's why they're better than they are right now. They're just developing better from within. And so draft rankings, from here forward, draft rankings don't matter. It really doesn't matter who got who or how much they are liked nationally. It's all about how they develop. And I, and the Braves, I, I mentioned this early in terms of going guys, going with guys that have high makeup. The Braves focus on that a lot more than other organizations do, a lot more than a lot of the organizations, you know, at least. I mean, there are guys uh, in these other systems. I mean, just the other day, a Marlins prospect had an issue with the AAA coaching staff that left. And, and you're see, you see less of that. You see more of that with the other, other organizations of guys not necessarily maximizing their talents because of makeup issues than you do with the Braves. And so I think that's where they're succeeding over the other teams. Even without necessarily having those high-end picks, they've done a good job of really getting good people into the system. And their development staff really knows what they're doing and has a plan in place to get those guys developed. And in baseball, more than any other sport, for those listening, and, and I'm sure that they have caught on to this during Alex Anthopoulos, you know, years as the GM. In baseball, since you don't have a lot of times that immediate impact like you do in a lot of other places, development, it probably is even more important than the actual, you know, draft, drafting big names. It's how you develop them in your system. And to, to Garrett's point, the, the Braves minor league system may not necessarily be at the top of the list. At the end of the day, the minor league system, the ultimate judge of that is what it will do once those groups get to the major league level and it's hard to argue that any team right now is having more success in that department than the Braves. Matt and Garrett, before we wrap up here, any final thoughts from y'all on this 2023 draft draft another year? The first one without Dana Brown, who now is the GM of the Houston Astros, but any final takeaways on the 2023 draft class for the Braves in general? I think overall they kind of stuck to what they did under Dana Brown. Dana Brown's a very, very smart guy. He knows what he's doing, but the Braves have a great system in place where it wasn't just Dana making these picks. They have a great scouting team. And so I don't think we're going to see a lot of fall off going forward. I think that they did a good job this year. And I think they're going to continue to do good jobs because it's a, it's a very much a team effort. It wasn't just Dana. Brown was fantastic. I, I, I won't take anything away from him. He's fantastic. He's going to be fantastic for the Astros. Uh, but the Braves have a good system in place. And, you know, it, it's uh, the more we hear, I, I want to specifically point out uh, third round pick. The more we hear about Sabine Ceballos, it, it seems like he's very well liked and a guy that uh, fits the system well. And that there's a lot of high hopes there for him, I think. And, and really, I think they're going to have, you know, guys like that, guys like Drake. There's a lot of high hopes there for this uh, team. Matt, any final thoughts from you and what do we expect to see from you when it comes to your um, analysis in the, in the coming days? 
Yeah, so Ceballos uh, in particular, I was talking to one of his coaches at San Jacinto, which is one of the two or three premier JUCO programs in the entire nation. And the things he said are one of the best reviews of player slash person that I've ever seen on a player. And I mean, I'll get further into that in an article in the coming days, but I mean, a guy that really fits the system very well. But yeah, I did just want to highlight a couple of the guys from day three that I really liked. Uh, Jace Grady in particular, the first pick of the day. I wrote him up uh, as a possible day two senior sign type of player. But this guy plays for a very strong program that produces a lot of pros in Dallas Baptist. Over the last three years, he has not had an on-base percentage below 418. And he also had a strong showing in the Cape Cod League at one point during the those last three years. Then you go ahead and you look at Will Verdung, a kid who just put up some massive JUCO numbers, obviously the quality of competitions in question, but the power numbers that he put up are on par with Tyreek Reed, who was a higher end day two pick by Boston a couple of years ago, uh, same school. Uh, the D2 that they got, Mitch Ferris from Wingate, put up just video game numbers this year, 121 ERA, 062 whip, 12.8 K9, and he went to the Cape. He didn't really have great success there overall, but it's just eight innings, and he was also adjusting to the level of competition. But despite that, he still missed bats at one and a half per inning in that eight innings. And then the other name that really, really struck me was Will King, the catcher that they took in the final round. Young for the class, has some power, doesn't have a lot of swing and miss in his game. Uh, I mean, those are just a couple of the names that I liked from day three. But there, there's just a lot of guys that really have something that draws you in on them and make you want to watch how they're going to develop in these coming years. And then Garrett, if you'll take us home, you know, we've, we've obviously, you know, there's a lot of great content to read out there at batterypower.com, Battery Power SBN. I would highly encourage anyone listening to go read the Twitter takes of both Matt and Garrett over the past few days. I will admit that I've learned quite a bit from their analysis as well. It's been great analysis over the past few days. But Garrett, you know, I know that we have the signing tracker. We may have modifications to the Battery Power Top 25. Just take us home with what to expect with when it comes to post-draft analysis in the coming days at BatteryPower.com. Well, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to post before or after this podcast. Uh, Matt is going to have a day three recap for us up today. And then going forward tomorrow or I assume, again, I assume this is Tuesday right now, right after the draft. I assume the podcast is going to post today. So tomorrow this draft signing tracker will go up. That's, you know, that will go through a lot of the signing rules and bonus pools. And then that will be updated every few hours. I mean, I'm constantly checking. That's that's my, for the next two weeks, my project is constantly scanning and tr- through social media to try to figure out who signed and who hasn't. Um that's always a big project and then after that uh end of the month the plan is to get our mid-season prospect list out you'll definitely see some draftees Uh, we definitely we haven't done our list yet so i don't know you know who's who and who's going to be where but we're going to have some draftees that come into the system and should be the last week of july we'll have that go out and 
that's another big project for us. So it's, it's, we got a lot going on this month. It, it's, it's going to be a busy time. And the main thing to understand is, is that despite, you know, the fact that, you know, Matt and Garrett have been wonderful to talk with over the past three days, you know, their analysis, their takes, it doesn't stop here. It's just the fact that we all get to benefit from it during one of the more exciting times, especially for them, of the baseball calendar, which is the MLB draft. But you also have the continued, you know, rehab assignment of Max Reed on the minor league circuit. You've also got the upcoming, you know, rehab assignment of Kyle Wright. You potentially are going to need to get breakdowns from these guys when it comes to potential prospects that the Braves could trade away. So though right now is a pretty busy time for both of them, it never stops for the battery power team as well as the minor league staff. And I, I know that I've said it quite a bit, but I cannot thank y'all enough. Matt and Garrett, you have been absolutely wonderful. I can only speak for myself, but I feel confident in saying that many that have listened, we are so much smarter now when it comes to these new potential Braves in time. So thank you each of y'all for your time uh, in, in spending with us and breaking down the 2023 draft class. Yeah, and uh, before we go, I also want to say thank you to uh, Brady Petrie and Devin Sasigi. Uh, they're the other two guys. They helped a lot on day one coverage, especially. Um, they've done a lot of great work for us this year on the minor league side. And I want to make sure that they get a shout out and some appreciation because, you know, it's mostly me and Matt that have kind of been on this podcast. But behind the scenes, Devin and um, Brady have done a lot of work for us. Do you by any chance have the Twitter tags or twi- Twitter for um, them, Gary? Brady, I don't believe that Devin is on Twitter. At least I have not seen. If he has an account, I don't know what it is. Brady is at Brady Petrie, B-R-A-D-Y-P-E-T-R-E-E. And of course, Matt, thank you as well. You can find Matt's excellent analysis and work again. Make sure you t- check out all his takes at Matt Powers 31 on Twitter. Garrett Spain is at Braves MILB. And hey, I'll be talking about a lot of different things, Braves, not necessarily as much about the minors, but you can follow me at StatsSAC as well. For Matt Powers as well as Garrett Spain, my name is Sean Cohen. The 2023 draft is in the books. Plenty of excitement still over the All-Star break. Eight Braves in the All-Star game. Maybe not necessarily all of them will play, but will be well represented. And then stick with the Battery Power Podcast Network at BatteryPower.com, at BatteryPowerSBN, and free on all podcast platforms as we get you ready for the second half of the season starting Friday. For Matt Powers and Garrett Spain, my name's Sean Coleman. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Battery Power Podcast Network. (laughs) 